So um, I, I'm riding my bike a couple of weeks ago, uh, not far from here. Um, you know, sort of a country road, not a lot of cars around. And I'm riding through a T-junction. And I'm riding straight ahead through the T-junction. And as I'm riding there, a car pulls up to the T-junction. And uh, I can see the guy really clearly. I'm right on the T-junction. Uh, and he looks to his right. He looks straight at me. He looks straight through me as if I'm not there and then starts to drive. Um, at the point that he starts to drive, I'm like right in front of him. And so uh, he's just taking off. I swerve violently onto the other side of the road. Um, he realises like right in the moment as I'm in front of his car that he hasn't seen me at all and he's about to drive over me. He hits the brakes really hard and, uh, and, and it was all fine. Um, he didn't hit me. I, um, but, but after that, um, I kind of swerve, I come back onto my side of the road, my heart's like pounding in an instant um, and, and I'm just sort of coasting through the other side like in this sort of wow moment that was close. He turns to his left, so he's now following me and he pulls up alongside me and he winds the window down, like, you know, the electric window, he's driving in the, he winds down the electric window, he pulls up alongside me. What do you think happens next? <laughs> Okay, I want you to turn to the person next to you, play out what happens next in the scenario. What do I say? What does he say? What happens then? You've got 30 seconds, go. Okay, um, uh, by show of hands, uh, who thought that there was some kind of aggressive blow up? Like who, who thought that, that would be the way to go? That happened next, I, thought, I blew up at him, okay. More than half of us? Uh, who said, um, who thought there was something sort of smart, sarcastic? You know, who thought that was the way to go? Some kind of comment like that? No one? Okay, usually someone thinks that there was something sort of smart uh, said. Um, I'm not going to tell you what was said, uh, um, but okay, all right, I will. Um, uh, the, the, the guy, um, the guy put down his window and he apologised unreservedly. He said... He's, he said, I'm so sorry. He's, I'm so sorry. I just, uh, totally my bad. I'm so sorry. And I said to him, I said, I really, I, I actually said to him, I really appreciate the apology. I said, it's okay. So, you know, sometimes that happens. I really appreciate you stopping to, to kind of, you know, and acknowledging it and saying sorry. So we're in uh, part five of a series that we're calling Surviving and Thriving. Uh, where we're walking through the letter of 1 Peter in the Bible. 1 Peter is a letter that the disciple, the apostle, uh, Peter wrote to a number of churches, uh, wrote it about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he writes to a small group of churches that are doing it really tough. Uh, Roman Emperor Nero has made it legal to persecute and to discriminate against Christians and Christians all over what they then called the world, um, all, all over the world, are suffering. And churches are doing it really hard under this persecution that's sweeping across the world. And Peter writes a letter um, to encourage those churches in their faith, to encourage those churches as they, as they continue their walk with God, as they continue their mission to follow the way and the life of Jesus. Um, Peter writes about the wonder of a life lived with Jesus. Uh, he said, and we've said this along, uh, that, that Peter says that the worst that the world can throw at you 
is still nothing compared to the wonder of knowing Jesus, both in this life and in eternal life to come. He says, even death, even if you suffer to the point of death, it's nothing compared to or the words that he uses, the inexpressible and glorious joy of knowing Jesus. And he writes that therefore, in light of understanding how great this life is, therefore we should live holy lives. Therefore we should live lives that are set apart, that are different from the world around us, while there's pressure on us to give that up and to say, well, let's just kind of try and blend in with everyone else and then we won't suffer. Peter says, no, follow Jesus. Live lives that are holy and set apart because our Jesus calls us to that and in a sense he deserves that from us given what he's given to us so we're in uh, the second chapter all this has happened in uh, a chapter and a half Uh, we're in the second part of 1 Peter chapter 2 Um, so let's turn there and uh, and sort of continue the story so I'll do as I've done uh, on each um, of the weeks of this series I'm going to read through the whole text it is a long chunk of text I'm going to read through the whole thing And then we'll come back and sort of unpack it from there. Uh, I'm beginning reading in verse 11. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves with such honour among the Gentiles that though they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day he visits us, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live in freedom, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. Treat everyone with high regard. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Servants, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but even to those who are unreasonable. For if anyone endures the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God, this is to be commended. How is it to your credit if you are beaten for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes you are healed, for you were all like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." So I've got good news and bad news. Um, The good news is that this section of Peter's letter is pretty easy to understand compared to some of the stuff that we've read before. 
Uh, he's pretty straight up and clear in what he's writing. That's the good news. The bad news is that you're not going to like what he has to say. Um, Peter starts to unpack here what holy living looks like. You remember in, in the past weeks he said that, that we should live holy lives. And in this week he starts to unpack exactly what that looks like. What, what does it mean to say we're living holy lives, to, see, to say that we're living lives that are set apart for Jesus? It begins in verse 11 by saying, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That's his way of reminding us, he keeps coming back to the same theme, that we don't really belong here. That, that this world isn't our real home, that, this, that our real home is in the kingdom of God, both in, in this life, in this world, and in the life to come. Uh, living here is like living in another country. It's like being a foreigner. You know, you live there, but it's not really your true home. It's not the place that you really belong. He says, but while we're here, he says, as long as you're here, verse 12, conduct yourselves with such honour among the Gentiles that though they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's Peter's way of saying, while you live here, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Live an honourable and live as an honourable and respectful member of the community around you. And this is an idea that he repeats a lot in this passage in different ways. Verse 12, he says, conduct yourselves with honour. Verse 13, he says, submit yourself to every human institution, to all the governors. Uh, Verse 17, treat everyone with high regard. Honour the king. In verse 18, he says, submit yourself to your masters. I told you you wouldn't like all this. These aren't the verses that you see on coffee cups and T-shirts, are they? Right? This isn't, this isn't the cool stuff that everyone wants to put on their bumper sticker and say, you know, yay for Jesus, I'm following this stuff. He's talking about the way that we live as members of the community, as practically as we can. When, when he talks about the king, we can think about uh, the authorities, the government over that, that's over us. When he talks about masters... Um, Masters were, I mean, he talks about masters and slaves, but, but he's more talking, it's probably most similar for us to talk about sort of your place of employment and the bosses and the people that are over you in that sort of environment. And of course, when he talks about everyone, he's talking about, well, everyone. Um, twice he says that we should do good. Twice he says that we should submit ourselves. Peter says, live like this because... Right? This isn't stuff that he's just making up. He says, live like this because. Conduct yourselves with such honour among the Gentiles that though they slander you, listen to this, though they slander you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He's saying there's a purpose to living like that, that other people would see your good deeds and glorify God. In verse 13, he said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Uh, Verse 15, by doing this, you should silence the talk of ignorant and foolish men. Uh, Peter says that when we do the right thing, when we live honourable and respectful and upright lives in the community around us, then even the people who don't like you, even the people who don't like the Christian faith, even the people who think that what you believe in is a load of whatever, they won't be able to say anything bad about you or about the God that you worship. 
Remember, he's writing to people who are being persecuted and discriminated against because they're Christian. And he's writing them and basically saying, don't give those people ammunition. Don't give them a reason not to like you. You can't stop them not liking you. You can't stop them persecuting you. After all, to the people he's writing, this is the law. They're legally allowed to do this. You can't stop that. But don't give them a reason. Don't give them something that they say, there, you see, they deserve it because of the way that they're acting, because of the way that they're living. Don't give them that ammunition. And this is what makes many of us want to skip this part of the Bible and go and read something that's, you know, that's more sort of, uh, um, that might seem to us more kind of positive and enlightening and, and easy to read. Because let's face it, we live in a world that says, respect others, but stand up for your rights. We live in a world that says, do good, but don't get used. We live in a world that says, honour the government as long as they're a good government. We live in a world that says, treat others with high regard, but don't submit to anyone. I mean, submission, that's a word. No one wants to kind of submit. But Peter tells us quite simply, respect others, full stop. Do good, full stop. Honour the government, full stop. Treat others with high regard, full stop. Because, he says, and this is, this is the point I really want you to get, he's saying, because, because the goal of this isn't about protecting your rights. The goal of this isn't for you to fight for what's fair and reasonable, whatever you decide that that is for your life. He's saying the goal of living a life like this is to reflect as positively as you can on your God. The, the goal of this is to live a life within the community that, that reflects as positively as possible on who God is and what he's about. Now, let's be honest. It's pretty quiet in here, right? <laughs> let's be honest. Some of us don't like this, and I'm going to be honest, there's parts of this that I don't like either. Because part of my mind is already preparing my yeah, but. You know, the, you, you read this and there's part of you that goes, well, well yeah, but. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, yeah, but what if the government's harsh or cruel or, or just stupid? You know, what if, I mean, yeah, but people might take advantage of me. Yeah, but I might suffer if I live this way. You know, my reputation might suffer. My, my career prospects might suffer. My finances might suffer. Yeah, but I don't like the idea of submitting to anyone. I mean, that's just, that's just putting you in a bad place, isn't it? If you're like me and you're thinking some of those things, I want to tell you you're not alone. Peter actually predicted these questions. Um, it doesn't say it, but, but Peter's audience must have been a lot like me and a lot like us. Um, he must have known that they were going to think the same things because he answers their question, and if you like, he answers our question before we even answer it. Uh, um, have a look at verse uh, 21, beginning at 21. He says, For to this you were called. It's kind of Bible language for saying, um, this is your calling as a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian. He says, for, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an, exa an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is the drop the mic moment in Peter's argument. Peter's response to all my yeah buts, Peter's response to all your yeah buts is simply to say, look at Jesus. He's saying, before you complain about the government making poor decisions, look at the way that the government treated Jesus. Before you think about how how mean and nasty the government's being to you, think about the fact that Jesus was put through a, a sham of an unjust trial, that he was horribly tortured and executed by his government. Before you complain about the way that that people are taking advantage of you, look at the way that people took advantage of Jesus. Before you say, well, yeah, but, and and talk about how how people are going to treat you unfairly and and how people could treat you harshly, look at the way that people treated Jesus. Look at how unfairly and harshly they treated him. Peter's saying, if respecting everyone leads to suffering... You're in good company. If honouring the government leads to suffering, you're in good company. If, if submitting to others leads to suffering for you, you're in good company. And while we're being honest, uh, Peter's point is to say, you know, however good you think you are, I promise Jesus is better. You know, whatever injustice and, un- and unfairness you think is being, is being heaped on you, I want to promise you more was heaped on Jesus. I mean, if you think that you're being good, if you think that you're a good person and by living a good life, you know, maybe this, sort of, this kind of good life, the bad things might happen to you. Peter says, think about this, that the very worst things happened to the very best person. And Peter says, as plainly as he can, that's your example. Follow in those footsteps. He actually says that. Follow in those footsteps. And just in case you're still not getting it, just in case you you need Peter to be a little more specific, verse 18, he says, Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but even to those who are unreasonable. For if anyone endures the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God, this is to be commended. How is it to your credit if you're beaten for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. I mean, he's saying as clearly as as he possibly can, live in this way even when others are unreasonable towards you. Even if you suffer unjustly because of your faith, because of the way you're living. He's saying, that's what's commendable. He says, if you suffer for doing wrong, well, that's no credit to you. You know, if you, if you suffer because you do something dumb, because you're stupid, well, that's your own problem, isn't it? He, he's talking specifically about here, about suffering for following God. About suffering for living a life that God wants you to live. I told you you wouldn't like this. I don't like this either, but I'm just telling you, like, you know, this is what the scripture's telling us. So we're just going to read this and, and work with this. So, I mean, what do we do with this? Like, how do we live with this in 21st century Australia? What, what are we supposed to do with these words? 
The first thing I want to encourage you to do as you read these words is to engage with them, to read them and to reread them, to pray that the Holy Spirit would show you what he wants to teach you out of these words. And I'm saying that because, honestly, the easiest thing to do when you read parts like this in the Bible is to dismiss them and skip over them, is to read them and go, yep, 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 and then to go and read some words in the Bible that you'd prefer to read that say things that you want to hear. I'm just being really honest. That's the easiest way to deal with this. And I'm saying, don't do that. Sit with this, read it and reread it, and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Don't let your yeah buts be the thing that dismiss what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you through this scripture and through Peter's words. Because these words ask tough questions of us. Probably the toughest of all questions um, they ask of us is, are you prepared to trust God when following him is going to lead you to suffering? Because let's face it, most of us are pretty prepared to trust God if he's going to lead us to getting a better job. Most of us are pretty prepared to trust God if he's going to lead us to a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a better relationship with whoever's around us. Most of us are pretty willing to, to trust God if he's going to lead us toward healing, if he's going to lead us toward wholeness, if he's going to lead us toward freedom, if he's going to lead us toward something that we call a better life. But Peter asked us to trust God even when trusting God is going to lead us toward pain and suffering and persecution. Did you notice what Peter said about Jesus when he said, when they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Listen, but he entrusted himself, talking about Jesus, but Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't fight back or retaliate, but he entrusted himself, he gave himself, he put himself and the outcome of his life in God's hands. That's what it is to trust God. And this is the hard question, I'm being as honest as I can, this is the hard question that Peter's words ask all of us. Are you prepared to do good to everyone, even when doing good, uh, will mean that, that, that people don't do good to you in return. You know, are you prepared to do good even if people don't do good to you in return? Are you prepared to respect everyone even when you don't get respect in return? Are you prepared to submit yourself to your boss at work even when she's tough and unfair? Are you prepared to honour your government even when they seem unreasonable or even cruel? I'm not trying to be political when I say that. I'm just simply trying to read these words and ask us, you know, what does this say to us in this day and this age? And you might say, well, but hang on, Matt. Um, aren't there times when Christians are supposed to stand up to the government? You know, when they're supposed to stand up against authority and what's right? And the answer to that is, well, yes, but. Yes, there are times when that happens. And there are times in the Bible when that happens. But. That only happens when the government is telling people to specifically disobey the commands of God. Right? That only happens when the government's saying, what I want you to do is in direct conflict, direct contrast 
to what the Word of God asks us to do. If you want some examples, some homework, um, you can write down Exodus 1, Daniel 3, Daniel chapter 6, Acts chapter 4. There are a few stories where, where people in the Bible stand up and say um, uh, directly to someone in authority over them, no, I'm not going to do that because God commands me to do this. But, but let's be really clear. These are rare cases. These are rare cases where the government's saying to someone, you are forbidden to pray. These are, these are cases when the government says, you must kill all the children. These are cases when someone says, you can't talk about Jesus. You are forbidden from sharing your faith and talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. And I want to suggest to you that given how clear and repeated Peter's being here, and, uh, and, and I mean, I should also say that the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 has a very similar uh, a very similar command to that church. So it's very similar to things what Peter's saying. And I want to suggest that given how clear and repeated and specific is, that the command for us to honour authority and to honour our government, that, that that is the majority response that we should be expecting in our lives. But Peter's teaching here isn't just about how we respond to the government. He's asking questions about how you respond to your boss when they treat you poorly at work. He's asking you how you respond to the owner of a restaurant when your food's late or when it's cold. He's asking you how you respond to that customer service person on the phone when they won't help you, when they won't give you a solution to your problem. He's asking you how you respond to someone who comments harshly on what you said on social media. He's asking you how you respond to everyone. Now, I can't stand here and tell you how you should respond in every situation, but I can say this. If your response to difficult things coming at you, if your response would ever make people say about you, I thought Christians were supposed to be kind. If your response would ever make people say, what a jerk. If your response would ever make people say, I don't want to be like that girl. That guy was rude. If your response would ever make people say, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want to be one. If that's what your response would ever make people say, it's not the right response. Followers of Jesus do good, no matter what the response of people toward them. Followers of Jesus submit themselves to authorities and governments over them, no matter what the response. And they do this in a way that makes people say, I don't like that girl, but she is kind. They do this in a way that makes people say, I don't agree with that guy, but he was really respectful in the way that he said that. It, it, they do that in a way that makes people say, I hate what they think about such and such. But they were really good the way they talked about it, weren't they? They do that in a way that if people ever find out that you're a Christian, they would say, I guess God's people are kind and generous and respectful no matter what. 
They do that in a way that makes people say, so I guess the Christian God isn't that bad after all. This is the way it's always been, friends. This is the way Jesus lived. This is the way Peter and the first followers lived in the Bible. That's why Peter's teaching this church this 30 years after. Like, I mean, this is basically Peter saying, hey, this is the way we've been living for the last 30 years. I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm not going to be here forever. I want you to keep living like this. This is the way followers of Jesus have been living for 2,000 years. And I want to put to you that this is the way we should be living today. This is part of the way that we live holy lives. This is what it means to be set apart and to live a holy life for God. Because when we live like this, people notice. When we respond to people like this, they get to see Jesus living in us. Right, Because that's how Jesus lived. So when we live like this, people actually get to see a little bit of Jesus through the way that we live and through the way that we respond. This is how churches share who Jesus is. This is how God's people share the love of God with the world around them. And I want to tell you, it works. I mean, you might hear this and think, like, this is a recipe for, you know, this is a recipe for disaster. If, if we do this, we're headed down a, you know, we're headed down a terrible road. But think about this. When Peter wrote these words, he wrote them to tiny little churches, tiny little groups of Christians, uh, you know, just tens and dozens in, in cities of thousands and tens of thousands and millions. He wrote this to tiny groups of people who were huddled in homes, who were persecuted, who were suffering. The whole world seemed to be against them. But that faith survived. I mean, if you think about that, like we're here 2,000 years later because they lived like that and it worked. Because they lived like that and their faith not only survived, but it thrived. That the Christian faith, that when people lived like that, in the face of suffering and in the face of persecution and in the face of people heaping things against them, that people who loved and respected and lived honourable lives within the community, that people who submitted to their authority and loved others no matter what, that worked. And their little faith not only survived in that world, but it thrived and it grew. Conduct yourselves with such honour among the Gentiles, in other words, the people who are not like you, the people who don't follow God, that though they slander you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's our calling and our mission as a church. Amen. 